0: Welcome to the Women of Wild podcast, where we explore what it means to be a woman. We will be discussing real life challenges from being a daughter, a wife, a mother, a single mom, and beyond.
1: We're two friends living very different lives. One is married with all girls. The other is divorced with all boys. We're perfect bookends to speak from opposite perspectives on all the things
0: Our mission is to search out the heart of a woman and to pour into you wherever you are with real life, wisdom, actionable steps, and application of the topics we discuss to continue our self-development into a wild woman.
1: That is a woman of wisdom, impact, love, and dignity. So let's go.
0: We've made it. This is the final episode in the four part series on communication. So if you haven't listened to the other ones yet, we encourage you to do so after this. We've covered communicating with wisdom, with impact, and with love. You guessed it, today we are unpacking what it means to communicate with dignity. If you're listening in the car or while you're busy doing chores, no worries. We've got a free download available for you with all the highlights, golden takeaways, and even a few journal prompts for you to continue practicing the difficult skill of communication. We'll put all of the links and information in the show notes. So just settle in and get comfortable, and let's jump right into Communicating with Dignity.
1: Sally, you know, when we are preparing for these podcast episodes and the topics that we come up with, isn't it really interesting how all of a sudden everything that we are reading or watching or the sermons on Sunday begin to be filtered through that topic?
0: I've seen it over and over the last few weeks.
1: I know. So we'll start with the massive connection that I made on Sunday uh, with my pastor talked about the prodigal son. And we're all familiar with the prodigal son story. And you have the three main players. You have the father, the older brother that stays with the father in loyalty to him. And then you have the rebellious heart of the prodigal son that takes his inheritance and goes right. Um, So the connection and the beauty that I thought was so good because I'm thinking about dignity and I'm thinking about communication. And the, the connection I made on Sunday was my um, pastor talked about at the end of the sermon, summarizing the whole story saying the, the, the hero of the story is the father because he loved both the rebellious heart of the prodigal and the loyal son that stayed with him the same. And the reason he could do that is because the father separates sons their value from their behavior and their attitudes and their actions and the choices that they make he first sees them through the value that they have as humans as dignified humans and then he sees their behavior and that's how he loves them equally and can be so quick to run to the rebellious prodigal when he begins to come back home and i thought that that really set the tone for the dignity part of this is that when we're talking about dignity, it was really hard. I think we both were challenged with thinking about dignity because that word really doesn't register in our vocabulary anymore. And I was trying to change it and make it synonymous to value. And that's what I was thinking about is a person's value. And when the pastor talked about God separates our value from our behavior, that's where I made the connection and thought that's That's dignity, and it's so countercultural because we judge each other by our ability to produce or do or be, you know, something, that it's not just because we are.
0: This just came to my mind as we were talking about Jonah on Sunday, and Jonah did not see the value of the Ninevites because of their behavior. He saw them as how evil they were, and wanted God to destroy them. But God valued them. He saw them as people he created with value that needed to turn to him. And that just came to my mind as you were speaking. I didn't think about that at the time, but as you were talking about Jesus and the prodigal sons, I thought that's just like Jonah and the Ninevites. It really is. Yeah.
1: I've never seen, I've never thought of it that way.
0: (laughs) But that made me think of that as I've been looking at different types of dignity and trying to come up with not different types of dignity, but just researching that word, what keeps coming up for me is seeing others again with the value that God created them with, but also kind of getting out of people's way. And when it comes to parenting or marriage or relationships with people, any kind of relationship really is allowing people to be who they are and to make the choices that they are going to make and not trying to control that or change it or force something on them. And I had a, a, it came to my mind as I was thinking about this, how I, you know, I, I do this with my kids, but I also see it in the workplace. And one of the more extreme examples I have of not, allowing people to do the work that they are able to do or getting in their way. Micromanaging people is really the word I was thinking of. As my husband took a job for a while with this company in 2019, and he was really good at it. He's a high achiever. He knows what he's doing in logistics. He works really hard, and he wants to do well and, and succeed and make a lot of money and be successful. And He was doing very well. But it just seemed like every week they would add another thing that they were doing to micromanage his time and make his job harder, really, with stupid things (laughs) and uh, reports he had to write or ways he had to do things that just were counterproductive to what was really needed in the industry. And so he just became more and more frustrated and even things like they had an announcement that during your 10 minute break in the morning or the afternoon, you should go to the bathroom, not on the company's time.
1: Because adults (laughs) need to be told when to go to the bathroom.
0: Right. That's terrible. And and it's not like he was going to the bathroom to waste time. (laughs) You know, I think he was getting his work done. I think if you're doing your job well, you can get up and take a break, walk around, whatever. You might even do a better job if you have that, (laughs) that little break. Over and over, there were more and more restrictions on the way he could work, and I thought if they had left him alone, he would have made the company a lot of money and himself a lot of money, but he couldn't take it. He only worked there about six months because it just was miserable being micromanaged, and it really took away his desire to try hard and succeed. When we micromanage someone, whether it's our kids, it takes their dignity away and it takes their desire to succeed away. And I saw that in him. And I thought, that's this company is hurting their employees. And it also shows that they don't trust them. Right. If we they aren't trusted with doing their job well and they're constantly it it takes away the dignity, you know, I'm not a good worker. They don't trust me. It takes away the value and I really saw that happen and it was, it was frustrating because he knew he was doing a good job and they still treated him that way. And there was no ability for him to just thrive and succeed in that environment. And so I thought about that even as a parent, I want to give my kids the ability to thrive and succeed and learn. And in order to do that, I have to step back. I have to give them opportunities to fail and succeed. If I keep them from failing or if I do everything for them so that they don't get the joy of succeeding at something, I'm, I'm robbing them of the, those opportunities. And that was just something that really kind of hit me as I was thinking about it.
1: Yeah, even though the company was not directly communicating, the messages were indirect. And, and so, you know, as we're talking about communication, we don't always communicate with just words. So there's messages that are sent because the message they were sending were, was that we don't want you to operate outside of these bounds. We want you to stay inside of these very tightly regulated bounds. And for most humans, they're not going to operate at their best level when they can't go to the bathroom when they need to. I mean, that's just crazy, you know, (laughs) but they sent a whole lot of communication with indirect messages. Just like you said, they made the employees probably feel like, well, they treated them like children. Yes. You know, children that are incapable. Right. I need to use that analogy because when it, because then we tie it into how we treat our children. So what does that even mean to be treated like a child? (laughs) Like you're not capable right? And and we should never even make our children feel incapable of doing something. So yeah, I don't know what they were meaning to communicate. It sounds like they were disconnected from, you know, this is kind of funny because in coaching, we kind of think about this is that as coaches, we try to look for the inconsistencies between what a person desires and what their actions are. And a lot of times our actions are adverse to getting the desired results. And it seems like that's what that company was operating in is that I don't think they were getting the results that they were hoping for by micromanaging and managing out of fear of failure or fault or mistake trying to avoid mistakes. They actually squashed any possibility of thriving. Like you said,
0: right. It was counterproductive and I think the whole branch is gone now. (laughs) It's just, they lost it instead of, um, you know, they probably could have grown had they let go of some of the control. And I think, you know, there are a lot of us who want to have control over everything. And some of that is based in fear. A lot of it is in fear of wanting our kids to make the right choices. And I like what you said about the, the boundaries or the walls. I think it's important like a young child needs a small box <laughs> to, to work in. To live in, and then as they get older, though, and especially into adulthood, there can be some guidelines, but they need to be a lot looser than they were when the child was a toddler.
1: Yeah, they need a lot more space, a lot more space. Yeah. To get throw those boundaries out a little further, out a little further. That's a great analogy,
0: mm-hmm. you know. And it's okay to have some guidelines to work within, but it's important to give people the freedom and the dignity to to do it their way. Maybe they're going to find a way that's better than I could ever dream of if I'm micromanaging that. You know, they might have a new idea that's even better at doing it, or they're just going to do it their way that's going to be work better for them. I love my sister also just got a promotion, and she had some ideas, and the girl who's leaving the job that she's taking said, oh, don't do that people won't like that. But then someone, one of the, her bosses came up to her afterwards and he said, you know what? You need to make this yours. And if you think that's a good idea and that you think that'll work, then let's do it. This is your job now. So do it your way. And I thought that was such a neat thing for him to do because she can, she has the freedom now to kind of figure it out her way. And he gave her that permission. And I loved that that he did that for her
1: yeah it's it's kind of like saying okay you don't have to be like the last person because you're not the last person that was in this job you're you so you bring you to this job and we're trusting that you have the ability because we placed you in this position (laughs) so go do you (laughs) you know
0: right and do it your way that you know and if it doesn't work try a different way but at least she has the freedom to kind of do what she thinks will work for her and her team Do you
1: think that the fear of um, not just failure, but the fear of mistakes is why we often try to remove individuality in, in situations like that?
0: I think so in a lot of ways. The fear of the pain of failure or mistakes. I see it with my kids. It's so hard to let them hurt, but that's how we grow. To let them fail. if They have to fail a class. You know, we don't want them to do that because we have this schedule and that's going to embarrass and that's going to be hard for them. But maybe that's the best thing for them. They have to learn lessons by failing. And it's not going to be the end of the world. It might be the best thing that ever happened to them. (laughs) Not in the moment. Certainly not. It's going to feel like that. But if they learn to get their act together and to do things better in the future, that's a lesson that will be good for them. But if we rescue them from every failure, they're not going to learn. If we bail them out, they're just going to keep making the same mistakes over and over again.
1: Yeah, that's, that was one of the lessons I learned from a homeschool mama that was light years ahead of me in experience and um, having already pushed several students through her homeschool and graduated out and still had young. She um, she told me, you know, in the high school years, you really need to let go and let them own their education and let them fall. And Mm -hmm. that was that was the uh, the hinge point that she was getting to. Like, you have got to let go and let them fall because they cannot pick it up. And sometimes they're not going to pick it up without falling. And I always just remembered, okay, so really, I'm actually standing in the way of them becoming responsible because I keep ho- holding all the responsibility. It was an right. aha moment for me.
0: Yeah. And there's something very empowering about picking yourself up after a fall and seeing that it didn't destroy you and that you can, you can rebuild, you can strengthen, you can learn from these mistakes. I, even going through coach training, you know, I was constantly reminding failure is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a lesson. And people who are successful have failed over and over and over. It's the only way to be successful. Nobody is successful without failure.
1: You just made me think of that uh, quote, confidence is the memory of success. But it made me redefine, after what you just said, it just, that just made me redefine that confidence is actually the memory of getting back up from a failure because success is not success unless you've gone down first right i mean if a if a child walked all the way across the room and never fell again from the moment that they walked they wouldn't understand that they actually just accomplished something so it's like the the holding on to the wall and the couch and then falling a lot in between objects that they learned to walk and that was an achievement growth stretched them to a new level but if we just go from mountaintop to mountaintop and never get in the what is that called between the mountains the valley (laughs) if we go from mountaintop to mountaintop success to success the valley is where we grow we don't so i heard something today it's it's not the successes that help us grow. It's the way up the mountain that helps us strengthen and become strong. We don't get, we don't get strong by the moment of victory. It's the way up that gets us strong.
0: And I love what you said is easy things don't make us stronger. I can't remember exactly the quote, but something like that. Nothing easy ever made us stronger. Mm -mm. No easy,
1: easy times. Nope. It's the struggles that make us stronger.
0: And I think learning dignity, learning our own dignity and treating others with dignity is a struggle. It's not going to come easy. It's not natural. We're very self-critical and we're very critical of others. And we don't see the value in people like we should. I don't. You know, I, I'm i trying. <laughs> it's a work in progress to do that more and more, especially as we've been studying this. Like you say, it's... I'm noticing and being becoming more aware when I'm not doing that and hopefully trying to do new things you know treat others a little differently and more dignified when i remember, and especially you know our families the- cl- people who are closest to us are often the ones that get the worst <laughs> from us unfortunately
1: mm-hmm. yeah and
0: i I've been working i I'll share a little bit my One of my daughters is one of those kids that is very sound sensitive. There's a word for it, and I can't remember. She can't stand the sound of chewing, breathing, sniffling, moving around. You know, she just is triggered easily. And so we were in church a couple weeks ago, and somehow I always ended up sitting next to her. And it's usually me or her sister that drives her crazy. Other people can be noisy, but I think those neural pathways have been entrenched for us to trigger her. And then that usually triggers me and I want to like give her a dirty look or I want to just be like, what's wrong with you? You know, why are you acting like this? You're crazy. You know, those very undignified responses that are not going to help her. And as we were talking about communication with love and with wisdom and with impact, I thought, okay, how do I want to Respond to this. I ended up not responding, but it got me thinking a lot about what response would actually be helpful to her. And, you know, I don't need to take it personally. It's not me. I'm a normal person that breathes, you know, and sometimes I wiggle in my seat, whatever. You know, we all do that. But I thought, how can I respond to her in a way that treats her with dignity? and maybe helps her see, you know, gives her a a desire to maybe work on this. (laughs) What did you do?
1: What did you decide?
0: This time I didn't, but I thought, you know, maybe even when we talked about disarming, what if I just looked at her and said, you know, I'm really sorry if I'm bothering you. Mm. Instead of, you know, putting it back on her, (laughs) you know, my, my initial response is wanting to roll my eyes or just make her feel bad for making me feel bad. (laughs) A
1: defense, (laughs) a defense response. Right.
0: Right. And that's not helpful and that's not going to get us anywhere. And I love her and I want, you know, her to grow in this. And I thought what I need to do is come up with a response that shows her that I love and value her and that I care about her struggles. (laughs) And, you know, that was something I was thinking about that would be much more productive. Without trying to make her feel bad. You know, I don't want to make her feel bad. That's not going to do any good. That's just going to. That's just going to. Perpetuate the spiral.
1: Yeah, the cycle moves on and on. Yeah.
0: I was listening to this talk. From Sadie Robertson. A while. I don't even know how long ago. Maybe over the winter. But. She was speaking about how God made good versions of all things. And I really loved this talk that she gave. And when she said, when I put myself down, when I put myself down or another person down, I am believing that the artist, God, was not good enough. And talking about, you know, I often want to trade the original design for a copy the way he made me for somebody else that I think is better. (laughs) And we can only be the image bearer that God created us to be. And she asked the question, do I think I'm a better creator than God? Do I think that I could do a better job with me or somebody else than he can? And a lot of times I act like I think that is true. (laughs) I mean, I guess if I had to be real honest, I would say I would do things differently but that's not right. That's, But that's where I go a lot of times. You know, if if I was in control as God, of course, I would probably make my life very easy, right? <laughs> Which is probably not what is going to help me grow into the person that he wants me to be. And so, no, I'm not a better creator than he is. And when I kind of think about dignity, in relation to this, it's learning to be okay with who God made me to be knowing my value and then being okay with who God made you to be and knowing your value. Like you said, seeing you through the lens of that value of that God created you to be. And then I don't have to compare myself to you to make myself feel better or worse. (laughs) Um, or try to change you. I can let you be you and me be me. And I know you had a story to share about comparing yourself to others.
1: Oh, yeah. Comparing. And so, yeah, I think that there's a time when comparing can be productive. And then I think there's a time when comparing is just completely destructive. Um, for example, when you're starting something new, you are going to look to others to gain wisdom, shorten the learning curve, that kind of thing. We did that with podcasting. We talked to other podcasters, not so that we could run a podcast exactly like them, but so that we could learn from them and learn what not to do. Right. And, um, a very insecure season of my life is when I was homeschooling. Um, and, and so this story actually has four main players and I want to kind of just preface this with, um, what to expect in this story because it's a big one to unpack is so This has to do with me and my at the time uh, my son was in high school but he was part of a homeschool community that meant met once a week and his we didn't call them teachers we called them tutors so it has to do with me my son his tutor and as a whole his peer group uh, his classmates Um, and in this the equal the equalizer here was that both Myself and my son were both in a season of comparing ourselves to our peers, and not only now with hindsight, twenty twenty, do I realize that uh, how self, how not self aware I was during that season. I didn't. This is way before coaching, way before training to be a coach, and um, and this is a season where I was not self aware of. And what I mean by that, my feelings connecting to my thoughts and then those creating actions. I wasn't aware of those things. Uh, I certainly wasn't aware of how sometimes my actions are rooted in my own insecurities. And so as a homeschool mom, I I was very insecure because I was scared I was screwing up my kid and I wasn't doing it right and there were lots of moms around me that were very seasoned homeschool moms that seemed to be just crushing it at homeschooling. Uh, and there was one particular time when there was uh, the homeschool community was meeting, and they the students in this class, like twelve students, were doing a project, and they were they had a piece of art that, that they had picked out. So that each each of the students had their own different piece of art that they were to post supposed to do a. presentation on drawing biblical truths out of this piece of art and it could be any random piece of art so it was kind of a a deep topic for my son that hates public speaking one and art (laughs) it was a it was a deep dig for him to to get this accomplished and get it done and that particular day all the moms have to be on campus and we got to watch the the presentations of all the kids and the first couple kids that got up did just excellent stellar presentations they had papers that they were you know referencing and reading from their essays were just wonderfully constructed high quality college level essays and when my son got up and did his presentation he only had a few note cards and he just did a little bit and he wasn't there for a fraction of the time and he did draw out some biblical truths of this piece of art he did get up and do a speech in front of not just his peers but all of his peers parents I mean it was a large crowd and um, because of the comparison that I was doing not just of myself to my, these other moms but the comparison that I was doing of my son to his peers I suddenly became uber insecure and feeling like my son's presentation compared to his peers was very different. And, and I'm just going to not use adjectives because of how this all plays out. Um, so I went home feeling and reeling and ruminating on feeling like I was exposed as a failure of a homeschool mom, to be honest. And so all of those insecurities came to the surface. And I felt like uh, that I had failed. But instead of connecting with my feelings of failure, I began to come up with a plan to completely project that onto my son as my son being the failure and pointing out to him that he did a really half-hearted job on this project and I was going to give him a mouthful when he got home. I was going to give him some things to think about. And I'm thinking through his priority list and watching him on his phone, you know, sit there and scroll for lengthy times. You know, everybody's got the phone issue with their teenagers. And I started thinking and building my case about how I was going to really just tell him about himself, right? About how he just <laughs> really didn't prioritize his time. And instead of being on Instagram, Instagram probably should have put more effort toward his project. But lo and behold, the way things happen is he got a ride home from a friend and ended up going to his friend's house that night. I'm still reeling and ruminating and building my case and instead of my... Instead of calm coming over me, I was just, be, I was building myself up into this unhealthy, rage-filled mom that was just going to cut loose on her teenage son, right? Give him a piece of my mind. He ended up spending the night out, thankfully. The next morning, I reached out to his tutor of that class and kind of gave her my rundown of how much I was just like so disappointed in comparison between my son's project and presentation to the other students and she tells me oh debbie that's actually not a good perspective it was only supposed to be an impromptu presentation with only a few key cards to reference the essays that were read before him although the essays were very good that was not the assignment it wasn't an essay that they were supposed to do they were supposed to do an impromptu speech so because i had the wrong perspective of what was going on and not all the information i had built this case and was about to just give it to him so she shifted my perspective and immediately i thought oh my goodness i cannot believe i almost just got that so wrong but then the big doozy she shares with me they had a, a it was midterms final exam on Um, several of their subjects that day, and he got the highest score in the class on his logic exam, which is one of the hardest classes that they had at the time. And I I was not aware of that. So I didn't even know he had not shared that with me, that he got the highest score on that subject. She also reminded me of how much he hated public speaking and art. And so for him to do what I thought was a half-hearted presentation was actually exemplary considering that he hated those two subjects. So my perspective I, she just really corrected me. She corrected me and got me in the right position to think rightly about it. And that whole case that I had built up just fell on me with such conviction. And um, then my son came home. And this is the next day after I had spoke to his tutor and was able to get my mind set right. And when he came through the door, rather than crushing him with criticism, which was my plan, inadvertently um i was able to just simply ask him hey did you know you got the highest score on the logic exam in your class and he did know he was able he got the results right away after the class and he actually got really emotional and he shared with me and said you know mom i wake up every day feeling like the bottom of the food chain in that class compared to my peers I didn't realize that he was also battling with low self-worth by comparing himself to his peers and he told me and shared with me that um he just really wanted to do good on just one subject so he just really dug his feet in and gave it all he got to logic and um to god be the glory he rose to the occasion and he proved to himself as god was trying to whisper to him prior to that day, that he really did have more than he thought inside of him, and not by comparing himself to his peers, but that he has his own set of skills and talents. Um, And in that moment, realizing what I could have potentially done if I had not had my perspective shifted by that tutor, was that I would have actually been in a position to agree with all of his self-doubt and I would have shared that case with him and gave him a piece of my mind that was actually coming from my self-doubt and low self-worth and projected that completely on him, a boy that was already battling low self-worth. Um, and in the end, what I can say is that I didn't have the tools at the time to connect my thoughts to my own emotions and realize what I was doing. I didn't have those tools at the time. And the sweetness of the father to love us both right where we were and even more so to protect him from me. uh, I don't don't think there was a sweeter way to teach me how to stop and think about how I'm going to communicate with my son and what the end result is i didn't want to crush my son that wasn't the end result i wanted i think when i was building my case i genuinely genu- genuinely thought that i was correcting a course that he was on a this was a course correction for him and i was going to do it through my only ability at the time which was harsh criticism
0: mm-hmm.
1: and now looking back i recognize how criticism really is not very helpful and um I also look back and thank the Lord for loving us so much that he didn't make me learn that lesson by making the mistake. He let me learn that lesson, protecting me from actually crushing my son. So a well-intentioned homeschool mama with all the good intentions in the world, but not very much self-aware, had the potential to do some great damage, uh, but we were protected from that, and I was ignorant. I was ignorant of what I didn't know. So I don't hold myself accountable to that. It just says I don't believe God does. I don't look back and go, gosh, Debbie, you shouldn't be a mom. You're not qualified for this. No, I, re- I just really don't because I did the best I could with what I had in the moment. And God filled that gap with all the tools that I didn't have. He filled that gap and protected my son from my harsh criticism. And he showed me and it, it was humbling. I spent so many days reeling over what I could have done, the potential of what I could have done, and how sweet God was to keep me from doing that.
0: I love that. And what a powerful story and how God protected your son and taught you a lesson. And I know we talked a little bit about how you were able to recognize that later in life. And I, I think it's neat that God didn't leave you there to make that mistake again. He helped you grow and helped you become more aware of those things.
1: Yeah, I think that um, there were so many lessons to come from that. And I've told that story before in a homeschool conference framed in why community is important. And to bring that story here, I had to reframe it and show why dignity is important. So there's so many different lessons that every time I revisit that story in, in memory, and reflecting on it, God shows me, it's just like reading a parable, how you could get something different out of it every time. And he's just pulled so many different things out of that about, you know, self-comparison and low self-worth. And when when we don't value ourselves, it's so hard to value others. And I think that that was probably a huge part of the lesson that I pulled from that is that When I can be self-aware about being insecure or having a low self-value, I can recognize that low self-value has the potential to be projected. And that's the course correction. The course correction wasn't for my son. He was still building his self-worth. And for me to think that I could help him build a self-worth by crushing him with criticism was ignorant. I was ignorant. Um, I mean, I think I experienced that a little bit. Um, and learned that, but I had to relearn a better way. So all the lessons that that story has pulled out, it just, it doesn't stop. I keep going back and I keep going back to that lesson that just God is like, here, let me show you just one more angle, one more angle. <laughs> He's just sweet that way. And the criticism part is I, uh, I realized how critical I was in other places of myself and others after that event and I just like when we're preparing for these podcasts how we just become a little bit more aware of things based on the topic that we're studying and meditating on and praying about that ever since then criticism I'm hypersensitive when I'm about to be critical now and sometimes not until after I am and I apologize because <laughs> I'm not perfect I still act with hormones at, on time, at times but the critical part of it, I think that that's where we could probably draw some conclusions today that are a good takeaway.
0: Yeah. And I think about that too, not only in how I can react to things, but other people that are critical of me or that I are critical. A lot of times it doesn't have anything to do with me, <laughs> it might be what's going on with them. And, you know, to keep that in mind when we see people. That maybe are mean or difficult, they usually have something going on that they're not aware of that's coming out and because because that's how it is with me. if I'm critical, if I'm reacting, usually there's a low self-esteem or fear or some kind of underlying thing in me that I'm worried about and I'm trying to fix that outside of me rather than looking at it in in me.
1: That's absolutely, yes. Is it? Would that be the definition of projecting?
0: <laughs> Probably.
1: Yeah, I think so. Like, I, I don't know that I have a working definition. I use the word all the time. And I think that I understand what it means, but I think that that's kind of what, it's like trying to go outward for something that's an inward.
0: Yeah. And I love how, you did call the tutor that was important and that she was able to share with you exactly what you needed to hear and that, you know, God used her wisdom to open your eyes and your heart to what was really going on and that you were able to see that your son was able to open up with you you and tell you what was really going on with him so that you could pour into him love and support rather than criticism. And that's such an important thing I was even listening this morning on this app I have, and it talked about we can try to change people's behaviors with either punishment or reward. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times our natural go-to is to punish them. And that that might work, but it's not really going to change them in the most effective way and in the most heartwarming way. But if we can reward good behavior and really acknowledge achievements. And that's something I've worked on as a parent and I'm not as good. It's easy to notice the bad behavior and try to correct it. But when they're doing things right, I often forget to acknowledge it because it's not a problem, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And so I've, you know, tried over and over to remember, okay, if they empty the dishwasher without being asked, thank them, (laughs) you know, using that acknowledging the things he did well and he's not going to be good at everything. It's okay. If he doesn't love art, he got up there and did it. It didn't have to be the best in the class every time. That's fine. He did well for him in that moment. And he excelled at a different subject that was more interesting to him. And that's okay too. That's, you know, and to be able to reward that I'm sure was so meaningful to him and for him to have that little win of victory that he was good at something We talked about that too, like, and you didn't know that. So he got, he, he had that success on his own. You didn't make him have that success by forcing him to do all that work. He was able to succeed with that on his own and have that, the dignity of that success, which is really cool. Yeah. And I think
1: that's the orchestrating, I believe, you know, and maybe at some point I could have him come on and talk about his experience because, um, He gave God the glory for that too. That was a, you know, God dealing with him because when we have things in us that's holding us back from being the people that God wants us to be, to become that person that God wants us to grow into, God's gentle about helping us through that. He's not, he's not a savage in that way. He doesn't just, like you said, he doesn't just punish us to, you know, we do go through, pruning seasons where he has to pull things out of us that's holding us back from becoming that person that christ-like person i think the sweet part is that if my son were to retell this story he would be able to share from his perspective what it was like to be a teenager in his first walk with what it means to be in relationship with a loving god because that was definitely a personal moment between him and God where God called him to rise against his own insecurities. Um, And just knowing that God was on the scene and dealing with him in such a gentle, sweet way. Again, it's always in hindsight, you know, I didn't know at the time. I didn't, we just don't know sometimes what our kiddos are going through. And, uh, and we, we certainly are not going to know, how God's dealing with them because there's a lot of that that they can't even articulate because they don't know. They don't even recognize until later that that was such a God thing. That was God orchestrated Um, to even call him to rise. I don't for him to do that was very against his nature um, to just dig in on an academic and go for it wholeheartedly. If that were hunting or fishing
0: or boating,
1: (laughs) that would make sense. But academics, that was not something he'd ever done before.
0: You are able to connect with him and he opened up to you about his own struggles because you came to him and shared the good things that his teacher had said about him. Instead, If you had yell, you know, gone in with your original plan of criticizing him, he would have shut down and you wouldn't have known that, what he was struggling with, because that's, we're going to get, defend- when someone just comes at us with criticism, that's what we do, we shut down. And instead you, that door was able to open for you to be a trustworthy person for him to share that with, because you came in with kindness and telling him what he was good at. And I thought, you know, that's, that's such a good reminder of when we are talking to our kids, they're struggling just like we are. Life is so hard and we need to be gentle like Jesus is with us, with them. And, uh, you know, that doesn't mean they don't ever need some tough love and that kind of thing. But even in then, it can be done gently and lovingly without criticism and it's hard, it's really hard. But I, what a gift that you were able to do that and he was able to open up to you in such a sweet way.
1: The, yeah, straight from the throne room, a gift. So what was meant to destroy us actually turned out to be a precious, precious gift.
0: Yeah. The last thing I was thinking about as we wrap up here, one of the things we talk a lot about in coaching is just being curious and asking questions. And in a book I've been reading, it's talking about all the questions that Jesus asked in his ministry. And I didn't know this. He's asked 183 questions in the four gospels, and he only answered three of them. So they were really for us to answer. And I thought that was neat because it shows that he cares about what we think and wants us to think about what we think about things. <laughs> He's not just giving us the answers. And it shows dignity when we ask questions, when we're curious about other people, and we help them figure things out rather than just giving solutions. And it's so easy especially with our kids, because we have wisdom of experience and time. I can tell them what the right answer is, but they're going to grow if they figure it out for themselves. And sometimes I don't know necessarily the right answer, but I can come up with what I think would be right, maybe. But they've got to figure things out. And the more I give them opportunities to do that, the more they're going to grow and be able to make decisions and things for themselves. So in our episode on episode on letting go it's easier to let go if we've prepared them and in order to prepare them they have to learn to make decisions on their own and to come up with solutions and not text or call us when anything comes up
1: and trust that even when they make really poor decisions they're going to learn and grow from them just like we are still learning and growing from our decisions right
0: let them fall give them the The dignity, I read over and over in my research, people need to be allowed the dignity to fail and succeed. And we're stealing something from them when we we don't allow them to do that. That
1: is a great place to end. dignity, Giving dignity to somebody is giving them the freedom to fail and succeed. That's beautiful. Well, this has been an awesome talk. Can you think about and give me your main takeaways, your golden takeaways?
0: You mentioned in the story of the prodigal son that the father was seeing the value in both of his son through the lens of God's image of them and not just their behavior, ideas, actions, and that sort of thing. He saw their value first and he loved them both equally. And I thought that's such a beautiful picture of how I want to see others. And so that's, that was a really, mm. I really loved that, that part. How about you?
1: Well, I'm going to give Sadie just one more um, drop on this. That Sadie Robinson's little talk about the artist, you know, the almighty artist. And I loved that part where you were just sharing that, you know, putting somebody down or ourselves down is really an insult to the creator Uh, And I think that that is a, that's because I think in images and I can see that image, I can see God crafting people and I can, I can see it from that perspective and go, okay, everything he's crafted is good, you know, and even if that thing shatters and breaks and has to be glued back together a thousand times, it is good. It is good. I love that image that you shared from Sadie.
0: All right. Well, I guess this wraps up this episode and we look forward to seeing you next week. Stay wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you liked and what your main takeaways were. We'd also love to know what topics you'd want to hear about on future episodes.
1: To connect with us further on social media or to learn more about our services, click on the links in the show notes or email us at womenofwildpodcastgmail.com. At and if you know anyone that would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it.
0: To continue the discussion about this episode, join us in our private Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes.
1: Until next week, stay wild.